We've been dealing with this for a few weeks now. This is supposed to be part four. And so, um, I'll be dealing with verse 14 today. Ephesians 6, verse 14. And uh, I also want you to actually look at the picture, and then you see precisely what we are dealing with. Should be able. Let me illustrate a little thing from this. Uh, we're talking about lines gathered about with roots, which is Ephesians 6, 14. Now, if you look at this soldier, the waist, that is where you're going to find what the loins is. And he said, get your lines about with truth. So I'm going to be explaining some things to you on that, but you need to see, and like I said the other time, the armor, uh, if you look at the shield, the shield most often is a little bit bigger. It's supposed to be of all the armors, the biggest uh, armor that you can put on because uh, it, it's a defensive weapon. It's enable you to make some defense. Amen? So we have that and so on and so forth. Then you have the element of salvation, the bread place, and then the shoes. Uh, we'll continue to be looking at this as we make progress, but it's good to see the picture so that you can see precisely what we're looking at. Now, you see, Paul actually got the inspiration, you know, of writing about this armor from the Roman soldiers while he was in prison. He took his inspiration from the soldiers, the Roman soldiers that were guiding him and all of that. That's where he picked his inspirations from. Amen? Hallelujah. Now the belt of the soldiers were made of a thick leather with a sheet for the sword and an apron as part of the belt to protect grace or the loins from injury that may occur during battles. Uh, if you had looked at that picture very well, though, the sheet of this particular one we use not covered it so precisely. But the key thing I want you to see here is that the belt protects the groans, which has to do with the lines, from injuries that may occur during battles. Now, I want you to know the purpose of the belt here very well. It protects the users from injuries during battles. Amen? Hallelujah. Very important. Now, something again I would like us to note is it is called the armor of God. Not the armor of man, but the armor of God. And uh, I want to go so much on that, but I want to read the scripture to see how God himself is described in Psalm 45, verse 3 to 6. Psalm 45, verse 3 to 6. We are told, Get a sword upon the tide, almost mighty, with a glory and a majesty, and in that majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness, and the right hand shall teach thee terrible things. 
Verse 5 says, Our arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemy, whereby the people fall under thee. Now, if you look at this picture, it's like God himself uses these armors. Amen? Are you done with me? Yeah. Yeah, we're describing God to get up the sword upon our ties, which means he has a bed of truth. And uh, from the position of the tie there, he can have his sword in his shield, like I described to you before. Now, these words, if you look at it very critically, are properly addressed to Christ, who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Because if you look at Revelation 19, verse 15, you're probably going to see a scripture there that tells you precisely how that the Lord Jesus is riding with his sword in his mouth. Amen? And out of his mouth, where for the shafts all that we did his mighty nations and John ruled them with a rod of iron and he trembled treaded the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of the Almighty God. What that stands for is the conquering spirit of Christ. But there is something I want you to know precisely. The sword that you find is Psalm 45. Here is is in his mouth. Now, I'm going to give some little explanation to that, or precisely what the sword stands for. Hallelujah. As we go on, we'll be able to see. Now, so first of all, let me say, like I said before, Psalm 45 is not necessarily talking about Solomon. It's actually describing the Christ. Hallelujah. Uh, speaking of the majesty and the glory of Christ, which is above all other glory, even that of Solomon, you know, the glory of Jesus was definitely higher of Solomon. Is that okay? So we know that this is describing Christ. Now verse 4 of Psalm 45 says, In that majesty ride prosperously. What does that mean? In other words, the gospel of truth which he proclaims, which is that of humility and righteousness, is the summary of his operation in the heart of men. So truth as a gospel is seen in the following ways. Don't you forget this. The Bible says that in Revelation 19, the sword in his mouth, and a two-edged sword. And you remember a Hebrew text so that the two-edged sword is the word of God. How many of you remember that? The word of God is shepherd and two-edged sword. Fine. So now the word is in his mouth. So what kind of word is in his mouth? And again, the word in his mouth is not limited to just him having the word. Because remember what he told the church, one of the churches, seven churches. He said, I think uh, Laodicean church or whatever. You are not that or cold. Remember that? He said, I will spew you out of my mouth. Is that okay? Alright. So now, the sword alone is not just in his mouth. We are also in his mouth. By implication, it is through us you proclaim what is in his mouth. Did you get this? It is from us he proclaims what is in his mouth. The sword is in his mouth, but we are also in his mouth. Now, when he releases from his mouth, we are type of... Now, remember what the Bible talks about, uh, children that are arrows that we stand at the enemy by the gate. Can you understand that? Okay, fine. So, we are the people he releases to do the, the conquering for him as he gives us the word in his mouth. Hallelujah. 
Okay. But I have some principles here that I would like you to observe. Because if you look at the scripture there, it describes precisely how he reigned majestly and prosperously among his enemies. Among them, as the Bible says, right prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness. These are qualities which, which he does his conquering. Hallelujah. In the heart of man. Now, don't you forget this. What is actually conquering in the heart of man is the wickedness of the Adamic life. Amen? So he's bringing forth another spirit into the heart of the people. So I want you to understand that. Okay, but there are some things I want you to see in relation to how the gospel goes forth and what it does. When the gospel of the Lord is the revelation of eternal truths, in opposition to all false systems of religion, and everything that seems religious. Don't forget, he's conquering with truth. So what is he conquering? He's conquering false understanding. He's conquering false religious system. Hallelujah. Are you following? Is anybody there with this slide? Okay. You better watch what I'm doing here. So the gospel of the Lord is a revelation of eternal truth. In opposition to all false systems of religion and everything that seems religious. Now, he wants to bring man to the place of divine truth. Hallelujah. Are you following what I'm talking about? Okay. Then number two. The gospel, it is truth concerning God, his nature, and his works. The gospel is the truth concerning God, his nature, and his works. That's the gospel. I'm talking about what is in the mouth that is releasing, which is conquering. Now remember, all other enemies have been subdued. And this is one of those enemies. One among them is the religious spirit that I mean. Don't forget... When Adam lost the glory, he got fig leaves around himself, which is a religious thing. And that is why you find that Jesus has to cause the fig tree. And that the fig tree was a kind of present in the house of Israel. They had a lot of religion, but no fruits. So fig is a symbol of religion. Is that okay? So men have always been involved in religion right from the time of the fall. So one of the things that God is conquering is a religious spirit that truth concerning God, his nature and his works may prevail. Are we together? Okay. Number three. The gospel is the truth concerning man, his origin, his intents, his duties, and his ends. Right from when God said, let us make in our image, that was an origin. Is that okay? Are you there? Good. So man, let's make man. It talks about the origin of man. It talks about the intents of God for man. And his duties. And then the end of man. For the fullness of time. Amen? That's what a gospel represents. That's what gospel truth is all about. Don't forget it. 
Gospel truth is about the nature of God and his what? And it's about the origin of man, his intent, his duties, and the end of man as a product in the hands of God. Amen? Number four. The gospel is the truth in what it says concerning the natural, the moral, and the invisible world. In other words, when God created the world, what purpose did God have in mind in creating the world? Okay. And then what moral standard was God expecting of man who lives in the world that he created? And then the invisible creation, as it were, knowing that we are not just existing in abstract of the invisible world. There is still the invisible world, just like there is the visible world. Now the gospel reveals all of this. The invisible world is called the celestial realm. Amen? Then the visible world is called what? The terrestrial realm. You see what I mean? So the gospel is the truth about the invisible world and then the visible world. Now, all these things I'm saying is for you to enable you to understand that when gospel, remember, the bed of truth is to protect, and I'm going to make you see what it protects you from or which aspect of your life it protects. But first you understand what you should know so that when error is coming, you can easily detect. Are you done with me? Okay. I'm walking from light to darkness now, if need be. Okay. Now, number five. The gospel is centered on the doctrine of meekness or humility as against pride and vain glory. Humility as we imitate the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to me, this is very crucial. I, I want to make a statement here. If you look at the book of Revelation, the seventh seal of the book that was to be opened was not opened by the, by the lion. It was opened by the lamb. Did you notice that? Said the lamb of the tribe of Judah. Remember that? Have prevailed to do what? To open the book. It was not the lion that opened. It was the lamb that opened. Now if you truly want to see the heart of God and to get insight into the depth of God's mind, not only for you but for creation, you must work with the spirit of humility. It's the lamb that opens the book. Not the lion. Hallelujah. Are you catching this? Hallelujah. Okay. Then we'll go further and he says, and don't you forget, the word imitate is not a pretentious attitude, but a desire to become like him. Now we don't have to be like him by reason of the strength that we want to demonstrate, but by reason of the humility that we must carry. Are we together? See what he told Paul. You are made perfect what? In witness. It is as when you feel you know nothing and you understand nothing that it works with you. Look at what he told Saul. He said, when you were small in your own eyes, they did not locate you to make you a king. When you were small. But now you feel big. So, the true gospel of Christ is that which works against pride. In other words, if pride is still in your life, you have not received the true gospel that Jesus is proclaiming. You haven't received it. Now, tell me, who did he guarantee the earth for or to, to be inherited? The milk, 
The meat shall inherit the earth. Not the, not the, not the, you understand it? Not even the kings. We talk about kings, 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 and dominion, whatever. It's not even the kings that will inherit the earth. He gave it to the, to the meek people. The meek are those who are working in humility. Who understand that of themselves they can do nothing. And they need to receive the life of God into them, which is a life of humility. And don't forget, if there is anything you cannot forget tonight, is the fact that it was not the lion that opened the book, it was the lion that opened the book. Hallelujah. And until you possess the lamb quality of God, there are some revelations you can never assess. Hallelujah. Excuse me. Then number six. The gospel teaches righteousness. It shows us the nature of sin, wrong, injustice, transgression, and then produces the works of righteousness in the heart. And then directing and influencing the practice of faith in all the actions of life. And I'm, I'm very, I want you to also know this. Hallelujah. The gospel of God teaches righteousness. Now, if you watch this, it's a little bit, if I, it is not a little bit different from the issue of the law. The law can define sin, but doesn't have the power to make you stop sinning. Is that okay? But the gospel of Jesus can define it and influence you to live a righteous life. Praise the Lord. So the power to live out the righteous life of God can be imputed, not only be imputed, energized and manifested through you. In fact, we should be talking about manifestation more now than anything else. Because manifestation simply means a showing forth of that which you've received. Amen? It's not necessarily a future thing. Certainly, Creation is also waiting for a dimension of manifestation. But even now, as I'm talking, you could do or come to the place of manifestation because there are certain attributes of Christ in you which you can manifest. And one among them is the issue of humility and that of righteousness. You can live a righteous life. Manifestation. Amen? Number seven. For those under the gospel, in places are to give to God, the regards due him, to our neighbor and to our oneself or ourselves. Okay, thank you. Bless you. Good. Amen? Did you get that? I want you to know this. If you are truly under the influence of the gospel of Jesus, you will know what God wants and the respect due God. And not just that, your neighbor, remember what it means you love yourself. Is that okay? You have respect for your neighbor. If you are truly under the influence of the gospel of Jesus. Men would have regard for people. They are not really. Even, even if they carry the book. They are not under the influence. When I say influence. I mean those who are being guided and ruled. By the gospel that Jesus proclaimed. Which is in his mouth. Are we together? You don't understand that. Because it's very 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 crucial. To me. And I'm sure to you. That you have due respect for God in whatever thing you do, you have the due respect that to your neighbor. And then to yourself. You should be able to respect yourself. The right honor that is due you, you should be able to know it. Because you have made it the image and the likeness of God. But it's not the issue of self-centeredness. Hallelujah. 
It's not the issue of self-centeredness. So I want you to understand this. So we find that it is through the delivery of the gospel of truth, humility, and righteousness that the earth can become blessed even so far, thereby extending the kingdom of Christ amongst men. Amen? We may not know it, but to a large degree, and I believe it, God may be preserving nations and cities because the gospel of Jesus is being preached. We may not know it. We may not, we may not perceive it, but it's just there. Praise the Lord. Are we together? Now, if you remember that God destroyed Sodom because there were no ten righteous men. It means when he finds righteous people in any nation, he preserves those nations. Did you get what I'm saying now? Okay. So now, we can say, but thank God for the gospel of Jesus. Men are preaching it, whichever way they are preaching it. We don't know the one God is actually accepting at this moment. But who knows that just because his name is being proclaimed, certain nations have been preserved because there is more of the gospel of truth in such nations. Are you getting that? Okay. Praise the Lord. Okay. So like I said, the two-edged sword in his mouth that we read in Revelation 19 verse 15 is the word of the gospel by which his enemies are confounded and his friends, the believers, are supported and comforted. How many of you know that God comforts you through the gospel? Amen. Divine truth comes from the gospel and you receive comfort. So just like he confounds by putting to shame his own enemies, he strengthens those who believe in him through the gospel which he proclaims. And through messengers. Hallelujah. Okay. So it's important we understand this. So now the definition we're giving in the above analysis will enable you to know not only how to operate in truth, but also how to use it to defend yourself against the tricks of the enemy. That's why I'm analyzing that. So now if you feel that there's a gospel coming to you that is making you to be puffed up, you just know for sure that this one did not come from Jesus Christ. Did you get what I'm trying to say? That's why you have to go through that analysis so that you can understand. You receive a gospel that does not try to bring in the origin of man, the intent, the duties, the purposes of man, and the end of man. You know it's not a true gospel. If you have a gospel that looks down on your neighbor and exhorts you above your neighbor, it's not of God. Are you still there? True gospel, I repeat, is the one that will bring forth the nature of God, the character of God, the attitude of God. Is that okay? Hallelujah. And it must produce righteousness. It must produce righteousness. Very, very important. Humility. Pride must not be mixed with the gospel of Jesus. Because Jesus did not carry pride. Right from his death to his death, there was not of pride in him. In fact, if he was to carry pride, the devil would get hold of him. But remember what he said. The prince of the world cometh, and he shall find nothing in me. So pride was not even found in him. So if you carry pride, and don't you forget what the Bible says, First Peter, I think, 5, 5. God give us grace to the humble, but he resists which people? The proud. Understand that. So if you resist the proud, 
if Jesus were to be carrying on with pride, God would have resisted him. Huh? Hallelujah. Okay. So now, Ephesians 6.14, and uh, I begin to do some things here for a few minutes. It says, Stand therefore, having your lines, get about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Amen. Okay. So what is the lines that we need to protect? Because like I told you before, the belt of truth with the shield protects the lines or the groins of the Roman soldiers. What is in the lines that we need to protect? And why is it that it is truth that we need to protect our lines? Hallelujah. Before we talk about the breastplate of righteousness. Amen. Okay, can you turn with me to Genesis chapter 35 and verse number 11? Genesis 35 verse 11. The Bible says, And God said unto him, now God is talking to Jacob, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy Lines. Hallelujah. King shall come out of thy lines. Now God is speaking to Jacob. So lines here stands for the reproductive system of Jacob. Am I correct? Come on. All right. It speaks of the reproductive system of Jacob. So lines stands for our organs of life, the source of life, and that. That is what we must protect with the belt of truth. The organs of life. Where life flows from. Are you still there? Jacob's lines, for instance, is from where kings will arise from. Now, they have to be protected. In that sense. Because... If you protect your loins, you'll be able to protect the seed that are going to come out of your loins. Am I right? Praise the Lord. Now we do know in John 17, 17, it simply says, Sanctify them through thy word, that word is truth. Is that okay? Good. Sanctify them through thy word, that word is truth. So, what do you need then, as we're going to progress, you find that, to protect your loins? The word of truth, which is now your belt. Amen? Are we see here? So now, if, if the kings were going to come out of Jacob's loins, what comes out of you that you need to protect? So where does light come from from within us? Because the seed has to do with life. That turns out to be kings. Is that okay? From the life of Jacob. Okay. So where does your own life flow from? That you need to protect. Amen? Uh, let's look at 1 Peter 1 verse 13. The word says, Wherefore get up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end. For the grace that is to be brought unto you are the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't think I really said this a little bit uh, clearer, but understand that 
if your loins are not girded, it means you will not be able to enjoy to the end to get the revelation of Jesus Christ. Did you get that? Hey, did you follow that? Good. So when you get your loin, you preserve your mind, the loins of your mind. You protect and preserve the loins of your mind that finally bring forth the revelation of who? Of Jesus Christ. Okay. The word mind is the anoia, which means deep thoughts. Properly, the faculty, mind, or his disposition, by implication, is exercise, imagination, mind, and understanding. The mind. What is he saying? You need to guide your thoughts. You need to protect the faculty of your thinking from wrong imaginations, wrong exercise of your thought life, how to be protected. With what? With truth. In other words, if thought comes to you, and you analyze this thought in relation to the word of God, and it cannot stand, you must do away with it. Listen, Jesus said, it is that which is eternalized that defiles a man, not that which is externalized. Amen? So, the implication is, it is not enough to receive an information that will not necessarily defile you. But if you receive an information and you analyze the information with the word, and it does not come into agreement to produce righteousness, you can dispel it. It won't defile you. What defiles you is what you exercise your mind on. Did you get this? When you, when you think over a thing that you have heard, and yet it is not in alignment with God's word, Righteousness, it defiles you. So, what you need to guide yourself against such imaginations of thinking over what people say to you is the word of God. Hallelujah. Now look at Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Proverbs 4, 23. It says, keep the heart with all diligence, for out of it are what? The issue of life. Other translation says life flows from your heart. Is that okay? Now sometimes you need to know something. Now let me just give a little explanation of the issue of the heart, the heart here. Before I give you a little bit of definition. The relationship between heart and mind. Hallelujah. The heart is used figuratively very widely for the feelings, the will, and even the intellect. Likewise, for the center of anything. It means the mind or minding or understanding or wisdom. Now listen to this. If you receive an understanding and it doesn't go into your heart, 
it is head knowledge. But when it gets into your heart and seated into your heart, it becomes a revelation. Are you following what I'm saying? Because sometimes you get confused. What's the difference between the heart and the mind? That is why we find that, like what we say, we're going to be reading in Mark 7, what defiles the mind is what comes out of the heart. It's not just an information. It is information you have received and is sitting now in your heart. It becomes productive. So the first place you get information is through your mind. But for the information to work, it must be seated where? In your heart. And it flows out. So if light flows from the heart, death also flows from the heart. But none of this thing flows until it is seated and settled. Are you getting this? What kills a man is what is in your heart, not just what you've heard. Because you can hear it. Now, see, see, see. You see, what, you see what David said? Your word have I hid in, not in my mind. Can you get that? I received the word, I nourished it and cherished it in my heart. And it prevents me from sinning against you. Did you get that? What is seated in your heart, the word of God that is seated in your heart prevents you from doing that which is wrong in the sight of God. So, we are talking about the truth that we must receive to guide our loins, which is the loins of our mind, which is the productive aspect of our life against all forms of injuries, which has to do with wrong informations that can defile our system. Hallelujah. Just like Jacob brought forth seed from his loins, you also can produce seed from your heart. Are we together? Praise the Lord. You produce seed from your heart. What is seed? What is fruit? Seed becomes fruit. Does it make sense? By their fruit, you shall know them. The fruit you produce is the product of the seed that was in your heart. So, you may receive an information. I'm teaching now. It could just be something that comes to you and it just had knowledge. It's something that comes into your mind. But until you walk it over into your heart and it becomes seed, it can never be productive. I'm thinking what Jesus said, the word came, so receive it, and the wind came and blew them. It has to do with that which was just in the head and not in the heart. Hmm? Hallelujah. Okay. So why do we have to guide our heart with truth? The word said, let's look at the book of Matthew chapter, I mean Mark chapter 7, I think Mark 7 is okay. Why do we have to guide our heart? The lines of the heart, why do we have to guide it? Which has to do with the mind. Why do we have to guide it? Because um, in the book of Mark chapter 7, I'll just read from 21 to 23, and it says, For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed what? 
evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and what? Foolishness. And he said, all these things come from within and defile the man. Where did they come from? From the heart, not from the mind. By implication, these things are deep-rooted and seated. Now they produce seed and the seed become fruits. Hallelujah. Are you following this? Hallelujah. So, don't forget we're dealing with the armors of God. So what we are saying is we're looking at the loins and the truth that enables you to preserve your loins. Is that all right? Okay. Let's move down just a little bit. God is speaking to the children of Israel. If you look at Exodus chapter 12, verse, verse, verse 11, and this is an interesting thing to me. Are we there? Exodus 12, verse 11, the Bible says, And thou shalt ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. Is the lost possible? Hallelujah. To me, this is an interesting scripture. As far as I'm concerned. They wanted to eat the lost Passover, and the Lord said, hey, come on, get your lunch. Now, one thing is this. You know, that garment were always very long, flowing stuff. Now, they want to walk, to move. What he's saying is, you better fold up those garments and tie them up around your waist. Is that okay? Use something else to hold them around your waist so they are not loose when you are walking. In other words, don't allow anything that can make you triple over on the journey out of Egypt. Are you getting that? And how are you going to do that? All the baggages that will make you stop your movement, you tie them up. Protect your life from this journey that you are entering into. The first thing is to them, get up your lines. Don't allow loose stuff to entangle your feet as you move out of Egypt. What does that mean to you? You are in your walk now. Salvation, if you will. Getting out of the world into God, to the fullness of the revelation of Christ, like we read before. Don't allow anything. Is that okay? To stop your walk, to protect, I mean, make you stumble in the course of your journey. And for you to do that, you need a belt of truth. Hallelujah. Are we together? Okay. I like some of these scriptures. They make more sense to me. When he said, with your line, get your shoes on your feet. This instruction was given because they were loose flowing garments. Which when they were about to travel, we are fasting close by a ghetto strap or belt around the body as they prepare for the journey to Canaan. Meaning to us that a belt of truth will keep and give us the freedom to walk the walk of the Lord into glory. Did you get that? That's what a belt of truth will do for you. If you want to get to the finish, you need truth. To protect your ways, to protect your lives, to protect your heart. Against all things 
that can make you stumble on the way. Truth will always set you free, Jesus said. Remember that? Hallelujah. It will protect you from false religion, false worship, false understanding, false relationship. It will protect you from self-ego pride that can bring you to a fall. Hallelujah. We are on a journey, just like children of Israel were supposed to be embarking on a journey. Remember that? They were supposed to move to Canaan. The first instructions is get your loins. You better do it now before you start out because if you allow loose garments around you, they're going to make you triple over. You fall. Want to talk of running? You can't even run well. Look at that place and look at the kind of stuff they put on when they want to run race. Huh? They often strip themselves of very bare stuff so that they can be free to run. So he's telling them, hey, this is your garment you're putting on there to lose. They can get you speed because you must live in haste. If you look at the scripture, they say, you must live and eat the lamb in haste. In other words, time is not going to wait for anyone. Hallelujah. Now there's something very interesting I would like us to look at again in Genesis 17 verse number 1. As an example of a man who could not get up his lines at starting stage. And don't you forget the last study we had spoke about four major things or five that you need to for, for which reasons you need the armor of God. How many of you understand that? Doubt, presumption, unbelief, huh? pride. Remember that? Okay. Part of the reason why you need the armor of God. Okay. Yeah, let's look at Genesis 17, verse number 1 and 2. Praise God. God is speaking to Abraham. When Abraham was 90 years, not Abraham, don't you forget. I'm sure you won't forget what I've told you before. Abraham, in the true sense, is not the father of Ishmael. The father of Ishmael is Abraham. The father of Isaac is Abraham. I'm sure you won't forget that. Because before ever, Abraham gave birth to Isaac, God had to add himself to Abraham. The H is from Yahweh. Is that okay? He became Abraham. He added his to his name. And then he gave back to Isaac. The child of promise. Is that alright? Okay. So the man we are talking to here is Abraham. Now, when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, which is 90, 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said unto him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me, my be the perfect. Verse 2 says, And I will make my covenant between me and thee, I will multiply thee exceedingly. Hallelujah. So like I said, Abraham was now 99 years old. God have already made a promise. You go to Genesis 12. Go to Genesis 13. He already made all the promises to him. Is that okay? What was now happening to Abraham? And in the midst of the, he has given back to Genesis 16, 16, he has given back to Ishmael already. 
And yet he said, you are going to give me a promise. Hallelujah. And so here, Abraham was already doubting the promises of God. Amen. What was supposed to be the, the bed of truth that Abraham would have used? The promise that God made unto him. In other words, he couldn't raise up the bed of truth to fight against the whip or the, or the spirit of doubt and unbelief. Did you get that? Yes, the Bible says Abraham never staggered out the truth, although by faith, whatever the case may be. But why was God saying here? Hallelujah. At this stage, his thoughts, his mind was, oh my God. Remember what he even said? He said, this is a laser. Huh? You, you promised, but now a laser is going to be my heir. He was always reminding God that, God, you made a promise, but it's not coming to pass. Are you still there? So God had to come here to strengthen him. He said, walk before me, I'll be that perfect. So here he was getting confused about the promises of God, about all the blessings and the bringing forth of Isaac to be the heir. And so doubting God who made those promises. This is my own opinion about this. Hallelujah. Because I don't see how God is going to come and say, walk before me, I've been a prophet. What is that trying to mean? Walk before me in your heart, in your thinking, in your mind, in your imagination. Don't think contrary to what I say. Hallelujah. Are we here? So God was simply saying to him as he saw that what was rising up in his heart, walk before me, I've been a prophet in, in heart, speech, and behavior. In other words, remember, it's a journey from Egypt, as it were. Now, this was a journey of Abraham with God. Is that okay? So, it's like he was about to stumble. God had to come to strengthen him. Walk before me, Abedah, Papi. In other words, correct your thinking. Don't allow anything to rise in your heart. That because he came back to Ishmael, Isaac have not come. Therefore, Isaac will not come. Because in Genesis 16, Isaac, I mean Ishmael came forth. Is that okay? So though God made a promise, Ishmael came forth before Isaac. And that is enough reason for anybody to think twice. If this is not my seed. And you can see why Abraham really loved Ishmael. Because, can you picture that? You are looking for, for a baby. At your old age, you got one. And God is saying, that is not the one. Well. You have to first love the one you see until you see the other one. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> uh, 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 am I right? So you can't blame this man. You're looking for children. Now you got one and they are saying this is not the one. Hey, let me first love this one until I see the other one. So even when Sarah it were, was saying, hey, let's get down uh, Ishmael and the mother, it was not an easy thing because I haven't seen Isaac yet. Hallelujah. Are you there? Okay. So, this is precisely what God was trying to do. He was trying to say, correct your language, correct your heart disposition, and correct your behavior. Walk before me and be the perfect. Is that right? So, what, 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 what was it that Abraham needed to really walk before God in this sense? It is just the promises of God. In other words, 
Get your lines for the birth of truth of the revelation and promises I've made to you before now. Is that okay? So some of us will get into the same situation. Maybe God will have spoken certain things and we still find it a little bit difficult to stay on. But all you need is to go back in remembrance to what God says. And you can be stabilized into knowing that he will promise and never fail. The Bible tells us something. God is not a man. Numbers 23, I'm supposing. God is not a man that he shall lie. Has he said a thing and he will not bring it to pass? Is that okay? It may take time, but if he's the one that said it, he's going to bring it to pass. That is where the real warfare is. And that is where you need the armor of truth to knowing that God who said this must bring it to pass. It cannot take time, but it will be fulfilled. Hallelujah. So, the first thing tonight, we are still going to deliberate on the issue of truth and this line, but you just check your heart. Because we are already, like I told you, the armors are meant for your own use. Primarily, they are for you to do the real warfare. And the warfare you are worrying is not against any external enemy as such. It's basically against your thought system and the way you run your life. Are you living with the truth of God's word? Is there anything that is kind of deraying you, turning you away from the life that God has ordained and instructed you to live? And don't forget, like I mentioned before, Ephesians 6 is a family passage. Is that okay? Children, husband, wife. Is that okay? And even servant. Remember that? It's a family scripture. And there's a need for you sometimes to relay this and understand that the real warfare is in the family circle. How do we sustain our families? What kind of love do we have for each other? How do we estimate each other? Don't forget, the gospel will give you the value and the right regard for God, for your neighbor, and for yourself. So what kind of value do we have for our family members? And then when we come to church, what kind of values do we have for the members of the church? How do you rate the members of the church? The issue is, like God is speaking to Abraham. Walk before me and do what? And be that perfect. What is in your heart in relation both to God, to man, to your neighbor, and to yourself? The gospel of Christ has no pride inclusive. If there is pride in your life, seek him. He will give out result. Spirit of humility which will definitely establish you in life. Where humility will take you to, pride can never get you there. I want you to understand this tonight. And don't forget, in rounding up, the book of Revelation, the sealed book that was not, no man was qualified. Can you imagine no man was able to open the book? But a voice came and said, the Lamb of God has opened the book. The quality that opens God's life or revelation to you is that of a lamb and not a lion. So if you're a lion, I will.
Goodness, you need the help of God. God bless you.